Hello, and welcome to The Graduates, a radio show dedicated to graduate student research here at Berkeley. My name is Stephanie Gerson. I'm a graduate student myself, and I'll be your hostess for the show here on KALX Berkeley. So today I'm talking to Caricia Catalani, a DRPH student, which means Doctor of Public Health. So welcome, Caricia. Thank you. Happy to be here. We're going to be talking about our work on community-based participatory research, and more specifically, the video voice methodology. So first, can you talk a little bit about what video voice is? Sure. Um, I guess really briefly, video voice is... um, a research and action methodology where um, people collaborate together to put video cameras in the hands of marginalized communities in order to capture um, narratives and research data on their experience of, um, in my case, I'm looking at health crises, um, and then distribute that information and share it either over the web or in targeted community screenings. So um, in that vein, Video Voice is really about bringing the voice of people who have normally been outside of like the political process, whether that's the official or unofficial political process, into the discussion so that we can have a more um, democratic debate that includes sort of people from all walks of life. So can you talk a little bit about the relationship between the video voice methodology and community-based participatory research? Um, on the community-based participatory research side, this is a, um, a school of research, an approach to research that uses all sorts of methodologies, whether it be um, visual, audio, text, um, classic methodologies like randomized control trials or sort of more new wave methodologies um, or uh, ethnographic methodologies. But the whole point is to include the community members with whom you're going to be doing the research on all the steps of research. So that includes in establishing what the, what the research questions will be, um, what the data collection mechanisms will be, how you're going to analyze that data, and then later what you're going to do with it. And um, the whole point of community-based participatory research is to mobilize communities around research and action so that research is really more relevant to the needs of underserved communities particularly. All right. So that's how you contextualize video voice within community-based participatory research, but how would you contextualize it within what we refer to as Web 2.0, right? The second generation of the internet, which has presented all of these new participatory media. Well, I think that uh, the really incredible thing about doing any participatory exercise in you know, our day and age is that there are a lot of tools available to us that didn't used to be available for collective action. And um, participatory media exist on the web in a lot of different ways. And uh, even uh, something as simple as like uh, Flickr streams and um, something as complicated as, as using online media to come together to create plans to, to engineer a new motorcycle. <laughs> All these things are sort of being facilitated on the web in a new and like incredibly creative and efficient and effective way. So I think it's really important when we begin to talk about any kind of communication mediums that you really have to talk about the web, the web, web 2.0 as they call it, or interactive media, um, because that's the way that our ideas are going to be spread and communicated, and then also the way that we can bring them all together to, to sort of unify different concepts and different 
clues and kind of piece together the whole story of what the truth of a situation is. And I think that researchers have always been interested in piecing together kind of a mosaic of reality. And I think the Internet facilitates that in an incredible way. All right. So would you say that any medium that can be participatory, whether video or photography or otherwise, has the potential to be a medium for community-based participatory research? And uh, what other kinds of media are used? Because public health is really um, sort of needing to garner mobilization and action from communities, we can use a variety of different tools, um, participatory tools. Photo is one that's been really well explored um, in Photo Voice. Um, there are hundreds and hundreds of Photo Voice projects going around around the world where um, people pass out cameras to communities so that program planners or policymakers can more accurately understand the reality of their everyday lives in order to create programs that address that reality, in order to create policies that structure that, uh, that can create more healthy structures around that reality. So photo has been very successful. Um, video is still very rarely used, and a lot of that is because it's been technically more difficult to access and more expensive to access. So these are a lot of the first projects within public health, um, within a public health research, at least, paradigm that will be looking at video. Hmm. Um, and other uh, text is really the, probably, you know, the, definitely the biggest thing that people use. Mm-hmm. So, um, right, so now that there's this emergence of these new participatory media, so what do you think is going to be next? What's after video? Logging <laughs> voice? Well, I think <laughs> that that's a really great question. I think that a lot of media people are wondering also what's after video. And I think that what it is is just a move towards multimodality, mm-hmm. um, a move towards um, using a variety of tools that are at your, you know, that are at your fingertips in order to to best describe the situation that you're looking at. Video is not always going to be the most appropriate. And and they also the, the you know additional question in, with all mediums is how can we make them more interactive for a viewer, for a person who is consuming that information? Because ultimately, as researchers, we hope that we're doing all of this because someone is going to be interested, someone's going to read it, and someone's going to learn something from it, someone's going to take it the next step. And I think a lot of that means that the kind of information that we produce needs to be flexible for the needs of the consumer of that information. Mm -hmm. So I think that the next step is definitely more interactivity. Great. So for those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to The Graduates on Calex. Today I'm talking to Caricia Catalani, a DRPH student in public health, working with community-based participatory research and specifically the video voice methodology. So I understand that you're a co-founder of something called the Video Voice Collective. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. The Video Voice Collective is uh, basically a team of people with uh, public health research uh, backgrounds, uh, tech mavens um, in every sense of the word, people who are amazing uh, HTML coders as well as um, techies in the way of audio and visual world. Um, and sort of community partners, and we, we bring them together for projects um, that hope to explore some public health issues and act around them. So the current project that we're working on right now is with a community in New Orleans called Central City that was uh, very much impacted by Hurricane Katrina and the breaking of the levees and continues to experience some of the after effects of a complete loss of community, of dislocation, and trying to do what it takes to bring it back together. I think as a public health issue, it's it's extreme priority for us um, at this point because 
there have been multiple reports about mental health just disintegrating in the neighborhood and disintegrating as a response to enormous environmental pressures and issues like lack of housing, lack of access to education, lack of access to health care, lack of access to jobs. And so since the storm, suicide rates have tripled. And this is really a sign of an extreme response to the crisis that began with Hurricane Katrina, or that was inspired by Hurricane Katrina, but began much earlier than that. So we'll be working in those communities starting starting a film shoot in at the end of February, and it goes until the summer, and we're really looking forward to producing films about New Orleans, not just stories of woe, but also stories of enormous strength, of the uniqueness of that um, city, and of our hopes of rebuilding. All right, so we'll actually come back to your current projects later in the conversation. And if you want to visit the website of the Video Voice Collective, it's at video-voice.org. But one theme that comes up in your work is that of relationships, Uh, relationships between people. And specifically in community-based participatory research, it's relationships between the researchers and the community members. And I find it interesting that the Video Voice Collective kind of emerged uh, in the relationship between you and the co-founder, who um, is now your husband. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, um, how relationships, you know, how that connects to the work that you do and how it's been working out to have started something in a relationship with someone. (laughs) That's a great question. Um, Yeah, it's it's all about love at the end of the day. (laughs) That's great. Um, You know, I think that um, the the founding of this organization was definitely about trying to find a way for me and um, my partner at the time, husband now, Anthony Venezielli, to work together. And we have very disparate careers, and we often find ourselves in very different places, I mean, including physically and mentally. So... He is a filmmaker, a trained filmmaker, and um, I wanted to find a way for us to collaborate, and I thought that public health could definitely use a lot of the kinds of technical knowledge and skills and the kinds of storytelling um, knowledge that filmmakers have. So um, we decided to start an organization together. But I think that generally uh, this kind of work really is all about relationships, mm-hmm. like you said. And and it's about it's about spreading the love and it reminds me of a of an MLK quote um, that he when talking about um, good leadership, he said good leadership is is great love combined with power. And I think that that's exactly the kind of um, attitude that we have to take into into a community is that um, it's about empowering people and empowering um, and facilitating the kind of love and compassion that people have for their neighborhoods that we have for their communities um, and that we have for our work and uh, sort of funneling funneling it through a research process in this case, but um, oftentimes through an action process, through a communication process. And I think that that's probably fundamentally what it's all about is sort of building these bridges with the sort of warmest intentions in your heart. Mm -hmm. Um, You you write on your website that... um 
The, f- the fourth step in your methodology is that the partners strategically use the film as an advocacy tool. So I was wondering if you could talk a little more specifically about how the films are used for purposes of advocacy, maybe specifically relating to the New Orleans project. Where do they get screened? Uh, who watches them? So particularly in New Orleans, um, our goal is to make you know a bunch. We're going to make four to five uh, mini documentaries, and we're going to string them together as chapters in a, in a narrative about their community in Central City. And the narrative is a very powerful one, and it includes um, a lot of strength and a lot of culture and a lot of history and roots. And it also includes an expression of the needs and the crisis that the community is experiencing. And I think that's something that film brings across really well. And I think New Orleans is a perfect place for film because it's a very visual story at this point. You Mm -hmm. see a neighborhood. You experience what it looks like in someone's home. But you also hear a neighborhood. And I think for a city that has had such a wealth of history around music and sound and creativity, seeing New Orleans is a really important part of understanding New Orleans. But hearing New Orleans is is central. Um, so I think that uh, our goal is to make these films, and we're going to have community screenings that include local policymakers, health program um, planners, uh, health providers come to these screenings, and to sort of uh, have a chance to come together and watch these things. I think one really cool thing about film in our in our American culture is that we've traditionally gotten together to watch a film. Mm-hmm. You go to a theater and you do it together. Of course, you can always do it at home, but there is this tradition of uniting in a big group and doing it and I think the power of that that moment where you're all in a group together and you've experienced something together can be really powerful and I think you take the energy of that moment and you translate it into action and Mm -hmm. into commitments for the for the community we also plan on uh, distributing the films online and through more targeted um, sort of targeting viewers that we think must see it um, particularly busier policymakers who don't necessarily live in New Orleans but have a big role in in the way that communities are structured and function there. So we'll also try and garner a broader broader support online and through targeting people online. So online, uh, and going back to this Web 2.0, what what kind of channels are you going to use? Are you going to use YouTube or current TV or... uh is that something that you also train um, the communities in, is how to publish their work or where to publish their work? Well, I think for this particular project in New Orleans, the final step of our of our project is to create a strategic communication plan. And that communication mm. plan includes, like, where should we do community screenings and where should we post? Um, and although there's a giant proliferation of video sharing sites, each one has its own specific mm-hmm. uh, audiences it reaches, numbers of people it reaches, kind of the framing of of your videos is, is entirely different. So there's, there's some that I definitely like, and each is good for its own reason. YouTube is great if you want to hit sort of a viral... Um, Capacity. So if you want to have a lot of people watch it, YouTube is great. However, YouTube isn't the most sensitive to social justice issues mm-hmm. in terms of its viewership, and that's not always why people go to YouTube. Oftentimes it's just more of like a, a funny place to seek entertainment for two or three minutes. So there's some better places to post more social justice-oriented videos, and one of those is Blip TV, and I definitely support Blip TV because they have a... Um, 
a, a uh, better copyright system so you don't lose ownership. Mm. You also There's also a profit-sharing incentive. So if you want to include ads with your video, then um, you get to share the profits of those ads, but you don't have to include them, which is, which is nice to be able to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, Witnesses Hub for Human Rights Video is a new site that is just exploring human rights videos and actions, sort of the another way to mobilize around human rights issues around the world and anyone can post to it. Hmm. Um, so you find some incredible um, participant or just, you know, ev- videos made by everyday people there that expose human rights issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a third that I, or I guess a fourth now that I really like is the alternative channel online. And the really wonderful thing about the alternative channel is that it's uh, it's uh, quadrilingual and uh, it's wow. actually... It's founded in Montreal, so it sort of has a little bit more of an international cooperation field. Um, and you get a lot of space for yourself that's very high quality, nice big viewing. I think that it, when you bring together a group of community participants and you work for months on a film, at the end of the day, you really would like it to see it be viewable in a large format, be pretty because you spent so much time on the details. So those choices all go into sort of how your web point, web 2.0 approach is going to look. Are any of the videos that you've worked on, can, can we find them in any of these places? Well, Venues? you will soon. We're going to have, um, we are going to have our first screening of a video we made here in the Bay Area on um, February 1st um, here on campus. And it is a California senior leader video. And we've had to wait till the screening in order to, uh, to uh, launch it on the web. But you'll be able to see it from our website. The links will be at video-voice.org. And there's a sneak peek right now. There is a sneak peek right now, <laughs> but it'll have its own big, nice page as soon as the screening happens. So that should be next week sometime. Well, one question that I'm curious about is, do you think that because of the proliferation of you know new participatory media and people can make their own videos and post them online and there's kind of so much more content in general do you think that that will um make your work any less effective or something because yes people don't necessarily look around on youtube for social justice videos and they use it more for for entertainment but if you do a search for katrina on youtube you'll je- you'll definitely find a lot of stuff so um, do you think that it's problematic that there's just going to be so much more content in general, or do you think that that that's that it's fine and the work that you're doing is is still going to be differentiated because of the process that you're that you're using to produce it? I don't think it's necessarily useful to have uh, a very, very broad communication strategy. I think that the most important part is to really think about targeting those whose who have the most influence over the decisions made and the policies made that affect the, that particular neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So in our case, I think that um, we were, that's, that's why communication has to be very strategic and even more so in sort of a Web 2.0 world where there is a lot of information for people to sift through and to digest. How are you going to target the policy makers as far as showing the films to them? Well, part of our strategic communication agenda is to create a list of, of policymakers to target. Huh. And I think that um, basically it's, a, it's the same process through which a lot of lobbying happens, which is that you um, knock, on, knock on their door and continue to call and call and call until you know that they've seen what you 
are looking at. But I think that policy members, our policymakers, really respond to social occasions in which um, they are asked to join a large group of people and be responsible. So the most important thing is inviting policymakers to community screenings mm-hmm. and to have them be present as as people start to mobilize around the issues so that they're a face that's been there since the beginning and they'll feel responsible to the foundations of the project mm-hmm. and can be you know you can communicate with them later on and and remind them of the event that they attended and they will have been a part of a social movement from the start mm-hmm. so have you done that yet invited policymakers to a community screening that's what will be happening on february 1st for the senior leaders screening Um, Yeah, there's a a large number of policymakers who have influence over um, particularly issues of health for the aging um, who will be present at this screening. And and there will be also all of the participants and also a lot of other viewers there to sort of hold them accountable to the issues that are being discussed. Good. We will be right back. So on next week's show, I'll be talking to Eric Halstein from the Energy and Resources Group about the influence of environmental, health, and social information on consumer behavior. So please join me, Stephanie Gerson, for The Graduates every Monday from 12 to 12.30 on CalEx. And if you have general feedback, ideas for graduate students to interview, or if you'd like to be interviewed yourself, send an email to the Graduates Calix, all one word, the Graduates K A L X at AOL.com. So, welcome back. Today I'm talking to Caricia Catalani, a DRPH student in public health working with the video voice methodology. So, it sounds like your two major projects right now, from what you've talked about and from your website, are the senior leaders. Uh, project and then the work that you are doing in New Orleans. Are there any other projects that you have done or you're working on or that are in the works that you wanted to talk about? There's always all sorts of coals in the fire. Um, But I I think that for us at this point, the really hard thing is being a graduate student and balancing your sort of agenda so that you can graduate from being a graduate student and then go on to do all the projects that you want to do. So at this point, we're really focusing on the New Orleans project, and we're putting some other um, other projects on the back burner. And that includes a few projects um, here in the Bay Area. Um, we would love to do a collaboration with the Berkeley Department of Health, um, who are doing some very innovative community uh, participatory approaches to um, health research in the Berkeley neighborhoods as well as action in Berkeley neighborhoods. Um, and I think that there are a lot of opportunities, you know, around the world to do this kind of work. Um, and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Great. So can you also talk a little bit about um, what, in what circumstances you would want to use the video voice methodology versus um, another participatory medium or versus... Um, just another methodology in general for research. What what kinds of circumstances do, is it ideal for, and then what kinds of situations might you not want to use it for? Well, I think it's when we talk about using um, video and participatory video as a research medium, you really have to look very closely at the at the ethics of the process and the ethics, particularly in terms of the impact it has on its participants. And well, I think that video is very powerful and important medium. It's certainly not appropriate for every situation. I think 
that the situations in which it's definitely least appropriate is one in which you might um, expose your participants in a way that would make them vulnerable to their communities, vulnerable legally, or vulnerable um, to retribution. So I think that that definitely can happen. Um, you know, one example is I originally really wanted to do work with undocumented immigrants, and I definitely had to um, put that aside for now because exposing an undocumented immigrant on a video and then spreading it on the Internet is probably a pretty unethical choice. Uh -huh. I think that there are some more marginal situations in which you also have to examine it. Um, another example is that a lot of my previous work has been um, working with people living with HIV. A lot of in a lot of countries, they still face enormous stigma, and if you are discovered to have HIV, you could lose your job, your family could disown you, you could lose a lot of friends, your social life and your economic life could be completely disrupted. So in that case, it would probably be very important to make a careful choice about exposing someone who is living with a stigmatized disease, condition, lifestyle. So I think that it's um, you know, that's a those are really important decisions to think through, and those are times when other mediums like text and radio can more better preserve the privacy of people. Mm -hmm. Good. And so thinking about the future of video voice, um, on your website you write that participatory video efforts have been mostly non-academic and generally take place outside of the U.S., so why, uh, why do you think this is, or do you foresee efforts besides your own work emerging within, within academia or within the U.S.? That's a good question. I, I don't really know why this is. Um, I have, there are um, a lot of incredible participatory video organizations around the world. Many of them are not in the United States. Um, one is Insight in the U.K. and France. Um, there are a series of organizations in India that are working to... Um, communicate and expose uh, human rights issues, especially around workers and um, conditions of daily living in poor communities. Um, and I think that it's been more commonly used in the development context than it has been used um, within research or even within particularly public health. I think that public health is um, not the most techie of all disciplines. <laughs> and so... Um, the idea of using the web or using multimedia approaches is very new to public health, and I think that we have been very interested in our more classical methodologies like randomized control trials. And I think there's a growing movement within public health to be more interested in community-based and action-oriented methodologies, but this is, a, this is a new growth, and in a lot of ways, the kind of funding and support that um, people need to pursue that work has been very difficult to secure in public health as a, as a discipline, and in the United States in particular. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, returning to community-based participatory research, uh, earlier in the conversation I asked what the next uh, medium would be, but you kind of hinted that... Um, do you think that community-based participatory research is headed towards a place where... Um, the communities just have kind of a, a portfolio of media to choose from, and they just kind of choose whichever ones that they want to use. I think that that would be wonderful. I think that'd be a wonderful situation to find ourselves in. Um, I think that the because community-based participatory research is so often still inspired by researchers that it's at this point really incumbent upon the researchers to present a menu of options. 
I think that as community-based participatory research becomes more commonly used, then there'll be communities that have already engaged in this process and are pretty familiar with it and are really more empowered partners from the very beginning mm-hmm. who maybe come to the researcher with an idea instead mm-hmm. of the other way around. Mm-hmm. And in that case, I think it's really both groups will, will come together, bring their minds together around all the different choices of mediums. And I do think that it will begin to seem to feel like there is a large menu from which to choose from when you're thinking about communicating your ideas mm-hmm. and mobilizing others around those ideas. Mm-hmm. Good. And so, and on a personal note, uh, so what do you, what do you, what are your plans with the uh, Video Voice Collective after you graduate? You're just going to continue to grow it? I'd love to continue to grow it. Um, I think that uh, one of our major goals is when we finish with our New Orleans project to present our findings to a series of foundations that um, are interested in, in information and communication technology solutions. And I think Google Foundation is definitely one of our targets. Mm-hmm. And we'd love to have the opportunity to fund a more full board program. And one of those things that are most that's most important to us next is to establish a <clears throat> online training curriculum and online training tools that have video podcasts so that communities and researchers can become trained in the, using these methodologies and to have an interactive forum to link researchers and communities with filmmakers. So a sort of um, sharing and collaboration system online, as well as a training system that will allow people to become more familiar with how to use the methodology. Great. All right, so if you'd like to keep an eye on what Caricia and the Video Voice Collective are up to, please visit their website at video voice. You've been listening to The Graduates, a radio show dedicated to graduate student research on KALX Berkeley. Uh, My name is Stephanie Gerson. Please send comments to thegraduatescalx at aol.com. And join me next Monday from 12 to 1230.